In the name of one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Rejoice, ye pure in heart, rejoice, give thanks and sing. Rejoice, rejoice. Not a word we spend a lot of time with in the season of Advent. A time when we fast and we grieve, we repent and we prepare and we pray. And don't forget the hair shirts. And don't forget the brood of vipers. And in these times of what I'm calling Covent, for so many of God's beloved, it's a tough time to rejoice. The holidays aren't holidays for everyone. Neither are they celebrations for all. And now, tragic times of crisis for so many. It's difficult. Still, we are called to be people of God who rejoice, people who find joy in God's creation. And this Sunday, it's different. It's different from the rest of the Sundays of Advent, and we refer to it differently. We treat it differently. You know, during the season after the day of Pentecost, roughly May-ish through November, I always find myself wondering, who put the liturgical calendar together? I mean, those lessons are all over the map. It kind of reminds me of the recipe for a Reuben sandwich. You got your rye bread, you got your sauerkraut, you got your corned beef and your Thousand Island dressing. I mean, who put something like that together, really? Well, a guy named Reuben from Nebraska, but that's a sermon for another day. This week's lessons are different. They're different because they are so alike and they're so comforting. I mean, they are comforting like, like a bowl of skyline chili. They are comforting like an RC and a moon pie. They're comforting like Steggs from the Ellis Island Cafe on the Strip in Las Vegas. They're comforting like a Nathan's hot dog with mustard. They're comforting like Pat's Philly cheesesteak, traditional, without. You use your imagination and come up with your own comfort food. This morning we hear about rejoicing. We hear from the prophet Isaiah, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God. Then we hear the beloved song of Mary, the Magnificat. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And the folks of Thessalonica, they hear the same message. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing and give thanks in all circumstances. And as a simple country parson, I bring you the same message. Grace, grace and peace to you, rejoice. You know, one of the distinctive features of our Advent observance is the Advent wreath with its four candles. And this year at the cathedral, we have three purple candles and we have one pink candle or rose candle. Some churches have plain white candles. Sometimes they are blue. This year for us, it is purple. 
And the purple color represents the liturgical color of the season with its dual meaning of royalty for the king whose coming we await and penitence for the change of heart we're called to embrace in preparation for his arrival. Today is the third Sunday and we light the rose candle. The church has traditionally called this Gaudete Sunday. Gaudete meaning rejoice. We also refer today as Rose Sunday or Stir Up Sunday, as the words of my favorite colleague calls out, Stir up your power, O Lord, and come among us. For those who observe fasting and the spiritual disciplines in Advent, the mid-season Sunday can be a break, much like the fourth Sunday in Lent, Litare Sunday. Advent is the time to make ready for Christ to live with us. Lent is the time to make us ready to die with Christ. Advent makes Lent possible. Lent makes salvation possible. Advent is the time when eternity approaches earth, and Lent is the time that completes Christ's sacrifice. Advent leads to Christ's life and time on earth, and Lent leads to Christ's life in time eternal. And there in the middle of the two seasons is the cross. In the middle of both seasons for us, a break. And who doesn't need a break? The rose candle is a reminder that the mood lightens today and we can rejoice in the nearness of God, our God, and look forward to the celebration ahead. And what else is there to rejoice about this morning? I always find my rejoicing on the third Sunday in the gospel. The good news which features a man whose contribution to the human drama makes him one of the most influential human beings in all of history. In a world where most of us are driven towards success and recognition and fame, the life of John the baptizer seems to be in direct contrast to what the world demands. Here's a man with a passion that fuels him to proclaim and encourage and prophesy and tell the truth in love and his greatest accomplishment, his humility and his expertise in playing the role of the supporting actor. John provides the greatest example of how to be a virtuoso second fiddle, how to be second best, how not to be a superstar. It takes a really healthy ego to be second best. Our world tells us, if you're not first, you're last. No time for losers, because we are the champions. It would be very easy for John to fall victim to the needs of his own ego. I mean, think about it. He's the talk of the town. His very birth was announced by the angel Gabriel. He's the firstborn son, and God has a very special purpose for him. Crowds are coming from everywhere just to hear him preach, and they seek him out in the wilderness. 
He's the name on every headline, on every marquee. And many people think he's the great prophet Elijah, whose return has been foretold. It's been 400 years since Israel has heard this type of prophetic voice. In the prophets of old, Isaiah and Malachi, they both speak of his coming. The common people are dazzled and the government leaders are scared. He's at the peak of his popularity. He's in his prime. And at that moment, when the religious leaders come to John and ask him, are you really the prophesied one? Are you the Messiah? How easy it would be for John to say, well, yes, yes, I am. But not John. John knows his place in God's plan. He's a supporting role. He comes to prepare the way. And despite his adoring public, John knows that Jesus, his cousin, is greater still. John doesn't need a position. He doesn't need a title. He doesn't need a covenantal agreement. He doesn't need a competitive advantage to feel adequate. John draws his strength from knowing his place in God's kingdom. He seeks only the approval of God. Wouldn't that be refreshing? For many of us, this just isn't true, or it's not true enough about our lives. Many of us don't know our place in God's plan, who we're called upon to be, where we are to serve, and what we are to do, or we are unwilling to accept what we know to be our call. Many of us feel inadequate, and we seek to fill that sagging ego with the acquisition of accomplishment and advancement, popularity, power, money, or title. We have a great big hole right in the middle of us. And as a result, we never feel satisfied never feel safe, never feel fulfilled, even when we achieve our goals. And so why then should we rejoice? Well, for starters, God isn't looking for superstars. God isn't looking for number one. God is number one. That's the good news. Rejoice. A-listers, celebrities, they're a dime a dozen. We have no lack of people who are just dying or killing to get their names in the headlines. God is looking for people who do their work with joy and purpose. And that purpose is unto God, to the greater glory of God. God is looking for those who are able and willing to play supporting roles with spectacular grace and humility and determination. <clears throat> God is seeking people who find great joy in fulfilling God's needs in the world. And for that, I rejoice. God is watching 
and the world is waiting. And what the world needs now is people who can really play second best with class and dignity and humility and joy. The world needs people who come together as a community of believers to love one another and to encourage one another and to enable people to grow and thrive more fully into disciples. God needs people who are both pastoral and prophetic within our faith communities and in God's kingdom here on earth. God needs people who welcome the winds of the Holy Spirit to whip toward them and through them and from them people who have a deep, deep and abiding love for Jesus and aren't afraid to share that love with others. God needs people who advocate for the most vulnerable, for the most marginalized, for those that our society has left behind as outcasts and misfits. God needs people who are reminders of the holy and those who nurture hope and love. God needs you. God needs me. But God doesn't need just you and me. God needs us together. Rejoice. Rejoice, give thanks, and sing again, I say, rejoice. The Christ of all that was, the Christ that all that is, the Christ of all that ever shall be is coming. He's coming. And we are here and we're waiting and fasting and repenting and grieving and preparing because we are called to answer and to rejoice. God needs us. God needs all of us. Thanks be to God.